Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Madam Secretary, you talk a lot about um, the mothers of your friends where you went to their houses and you knew that they were going to be kind and generous and supportive of you. So that, that theme of women being present and how they make a difference um, talk a little bit about that and, and how that, again, animated some of the, the selections that you made of people in the book. That's a great question, Mayor, because um, I wanted to include uh, women who I could distinctly remember the impact that they had on me. And, you know, obviously historical figures. I, I, you know, I never knew Helen Keller or Anne Frank or Maria Tolchi for... Amelia Earhart, but as a little girl, they made a big impression on me. Awesome. How's it going, everybody? We are live. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that great exchange between uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and uh, Madam Secretary Hillary Clinton uh, is apropos for today because Maya Dukmasifo will be joining us very shortly. <laughs> hey, did you know that since legalization, Illinois has seen an average monthly revenue of $40 million from recreational cannabis sales? And as of 2021, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention, December 4th through 5th. It's brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also three full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, and opportunities, featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com for the Cannabis Convention. More information, NECAN.com, N-E-C-A-N-N.com for more information and to register. It is Thursday, December 2nd, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Nothing Ever Changes Thursday, and here's why. Because nothing ever changes, ladies and gentlemen. The headlines of today's paper could have been the same headlines from a year ago. No! Wait a minute, let me do the math, D. Hold on. Let me come. Two years ago. Oh my God, two years ago. Oh, almost three years ago. Justice Smollett, that is. Justice Smollett Gate. Breathtaking news. It's on front page of the Sun-Times and the Tribune. It's in all... The TV news shows, radio news shows. What did Jesse know and when did he know it? Nah, we all know he made it up. 
We're going through this show trial. I, I tell you what, folks, and I, I admit I'm obsessed with the Justice Smollett uh, story as well. There's two stories uh, in the news that I'm utterly obsessed with. And one I will um, uh, entertain my obsession today when Adolfo Mondragon joins us. So we're going to take a deep dive on the Ward Mapry uh, scenario going on in the city council, the debacle going on in the city council as they redesign a new Ward Map. And it speaks so much about race and ethnicity uh, and politics in Chicago and how, and, and preserving incumbents uh, and all the little games that they play to preserve their incumbency while pretending there there's a greater purpose to it all. And we would talk about all that. Uh, but uh, the Justice Malite one is just, you know, I, I know there's supposedly like a greater purpose to it. I know uh, supposedly... It's, you know, that we're uh, supposed to be outraged uh, that Jesse Smollett uh, was allowed to what? Walk away from the crime he quite clearly committed. Uh, and I know that that exposes some foolishness on the part of Kim Fox, the Cook County State's attorney. I understand all that. I just feel as though this is way overkill. When I think of all the freaking problems in the city of Chicago right now doing criminal justice, whether Justice Smollett got off because somebody in his family called Kim Fox, which is the worst thing you could say about what has gone down. If you want to cut to the core of the Justice Smollett scandal, that is it. That somehow or other, this uh, celebrity, Justice Smollett, a minor celebrity, I must confess, I did not know the name until uh, he came forward with his accusation that he was beat up uh, by MAGA lovers. Um, but he was a celebrity. And as we all know, there are two sets of rules. There's set, uh, one set of rules for people who have contacts, clout and connections. And there's one set of rule for the rest of us who don't have contacts, clout or connections. And so Jesse Smollett was clearly a beneficiary at one level of somebody who has clout and connections. Somebody, we don't even know who, uh, called Kim Fox or contacted Kim Fox. Uh, no, it was Tina Chen who contacted Kim Fox, a Democratic Party uh, insider with connections to uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, contacted Kim Fox and said that there was somebody from Jesse Smollett's family who wanted to talk to her regarding the police investigation of Justice Smollett. They were not satisfied with how the police were handling it, and they were thinking about moving it from the police jurisdiction. And uh, on behalf of that person, Kim Fox called uh, Eddie Johnson uh, and uh, passed on those concerns. And then eventually, uh, when the story broke, that, in fact, Justice Smollett probably made the whole damn thing up and was not actually the victim of an assault, uh, Kim Fox dropped, had the case drop and did it in a very, I don't know, deceitful, is that the right word, manner? Kind of just really kind of a smelly manner. Andy Grimm has been on the show several times talking about breaking it down. Did not, uh, it did not show a good side of Kim Fox, put it mildly. Voters had their opportunity to weigh in on the matter. It was a contested uh, situation. Uh, Kim Fox, was, there was a, um, she was challenged in the Democratic primary in 2020. Uh, and then she was challenged in the general election of 2020. And she was victorious in each case, meaning the voters of Cook County decided in their infinite wisdom, it did not really matter to them that Kim Fox had, I don't know, not done the right thing regarding Justice Smollett. Pretty obvious. And yet, here we are. 
here we are two, almost three years later with a court case being led by Dan Webb, a former prosecutor, former federal prosecutor, now in the private practice. Lord knows how much that's costing. 3,000 police hours already investigated. A parade of witnesses that uh, are pictured on the front pages of all the paper were supposed to be outraged. At the things we get so outraged about in the city of Chicago. I don't know. It's it's like mildly entertaining. Mildly entertaining. And, and it's, you know, it's, I mean, I could make the obvious case. The contrast between police investigations into routine murders. Not dealing with celebrities. Just the amount of manpower that's been dedicated to taking a look at Jesse Smollett's case. It's just, it, on one level, you want to uh, just laugh at the whole thing because it is preposterous that this thing is still going on. Probably end up with some kind of probation when all is said and done. That's what all the experts are saying. The other ongoing story uh, in the city of Chicago, this one is classic Chicago. We've talked about it a lot uh, on this show. Park District budget includes $600,000 for new sex abuse prevention unit. Uh, Dan Mialopoulos of WBZ broke this story uh, a long time ago. Forget how long ago it was uh, that uh, there were accusations of sexual assault by male lifeguards on female lifeguards at the park district and the leaders of the park district uh, did nothing about it, buried it. Just like pretty much they bury any evidence that is embarrassing to anyone in the city. But in some cases, like the Justice Smollett matter, it comes to the surface. We get flooded with details about it. Anyway, they buried the evidence of sexual assault. Uh, and uh, Mialopoulos kept pressing and pressing and pressing, and pretty soon it became an issue that could not be uh, avoided any longer. There's been a fallout. The head of the Park District uh, stepped down. The, um, the president of the Park District Board stepped down, and yesterday the Park District Board uh, set aside $600,000 for a new sex abuse prevention unit. Now, you know, I don't want to say I'm against the sex abuse prevention unit. Good idea to have a sex prevention, sex abuse prevention unit. But I just like to point out that everybody with any sense knew that the allegations that were raised years ago, months ago, I should say, regarding sexual assault at the park district was wrong, unlawful, should not be tolerated. You don't need a $600,000 sex abuse prevention unit to know that it was wrong, and yet they didn't investigate it. So the issue is not that they need somebody to tell them what's right and what's wrong. The issue is not that you need more bureaucrats on the payroll to examine accusations of sexual assault. The issue is you need people who work for the park district who aren't going to bury the evidence of sexual assault. And it's such classic Chicago. You know, like, same thing happened to a lesser degree with uh, the matter of uh, Anjanette Young. When her home was raided by police and uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot pretended uh, that she didn't know anything about it when the story finally broke. It was unavoidable. Dave Savini at Channel 2 uh, finally uh, just put it in her face so we couldn't avoid it anymore. So uh, she had a... Uh, a special investigation by a former judge 
city launched a special investigation by a former judge uh, to determine what Lori Lightfoot knew. And uh, when did she know it? You didn't need special investigation by a former judge. Just tell us what you knew. Anyway, nothing ever changes Chicago. With us, uh, Maya Dukmasafa, my former partner in crime at uh, the Chicago Reader, my partner in crime at First Tuesdays uh, at The Hideout, and ace reporter for Justice Watch. And Maya, uh, I'm, I want you here today uh, to help uh, spread the word about First Tuesday being back next Tuesday. So I want to get the, the word out. Uh, pack the joint uh, or as much as we can with COVID. I know you're under a very tight deadline, so I appreciate you coming on. So why don't you, uh, I'll give you the honors to spread the word about what's going down uh, next Tuesday at the hideout. Take it away, Maya. All right. So next Tuesday, December 7th at 6.30 p.m., we're getting together. Can you guys hear me? Are you guys hearing me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, so next, sorry. Uh, we heard you just uh, then. Struggles. Anyway, next, next Tuesday at 6.30 on December 7th at the hideout, we're getting together for our first indoor first Tuesdays in nearly two years. Uh, and uh, we're dedicating the show to uh, a discussion of the remapping that's happening, the redistricting. So we've got three different types of redistricting going on. Most people might be vaguely aware that the Chicago wards are getting redrawn. We've also got a congressional remap uh, for congressional districts and a judicial sub-circuit remap, which I am particularly excited about in given that I am a judge's reporter at Injustice Watch now. So uh, our plan is to demystify what's happening with these remaps for you. And we're going to have two amazing guests with us. We're going to have Cora, who's the owner of the... And uh, we're going to have Candace Castillo, who's global director at SEIU Healthcare and former organizer who worked with Jeanette Taylor as well. So uh, two incredibly uh, plugged in, very smart people to help us parse through what's happening with the remap. You gotta bring your proof of vaccination. Only vaccinated people over 21 are allowed inside the hideout. Tickets are five bucks, goes to support the hideout. And we really look forward to having the show. I'm gonna try to get us some projections uh, of the maps so we can have a discussion with some visual aids. Um, and uh, I think we can all look forward to one of Timmy Tutton's famous riffs. <laughs> yeah, Tim Tutton, uh, co-owner of The Hideout, usually uh, introduces us and then goes on a riff. Although lately he's been trying to uh, hold back a little bit. Uh, if we do have uh, those uh, slides, uh, projections, it'll be the first time ever in the history of First Tuesdays, I believe, that we will have had uh, that kind of uh, assistance. So we're really we're sort of catching up with the 20th century uh, at First Tuesdays. And uh, so, Maya, uh, before I let you go back to your deadline and your uh, the story that you've been feverishly working on, um, talk a little bit about the importance of uh, the judicial, judicial maps, uh, the judge maps. Uh, I will be having a big conversation today about ward redistricting, and that's a particular obsession of mine. I've talked at great length about the congressional redistricting, but talk about uh, the maps for judges and why that's so important. 
Yeah, so um, most people probably aren't aware that there's two types of elected judges. First of all, there's two types of judges. There's about 400 judges in Cook County, and about two-thirds of them are elected directly by voters. And another third of them are selected by the judges themselves, To and those are called associate judges. So this conversation is about elected judges. And there are two types of elected judges. There are people who are elected countywide. That means that uh, anyone who grabs a primary ballot in June will see a set of names of judges running for office to be countywide uh, judges, and we all get to vote on them. And then there's also sub-circuit judges. So they will also serve in the same courtrooms in Cook County, but they are elected out of uh, what are called sub-circuits. So it's essentially like wards or congressional districts. There, are, it's it's you know areas uh, drawn on a map that are electing judges, and the judges who are running to be uh, to be subcircuit judges, they have to live in their subcircuit, and they have to. They're only the voters in that subcircuit are actually going to get a chance to vote on them. So it's it's a lot like any other kind of elected representative. And this subcircuiting system was actually invented in Illinois in order to get more uh, diverse uh, candidates on the bench um, to be more representative of the population of Cook County. However, uh, it has not actually led to a lot of a lot more diverse judges on the bench for a host of different reasons that we'll get into. And now um, there is a remap going on, but unlike the congressional remap, for example, or the ward remap, there's nothing that actually mandates in the law that created the subcircuits that there would be uh, a judicial subcircuit remap every 10 years with the census. So now they're actually, as far as, if I understand this right, and I'll, I'll have these facts down more more pat by, by Tuesday, but there hasn't actually been a judicial subcircuit redraw for more than 20 years at this point. So the fact that there's one happening now is pretty significant, and um, it'll affect um, who composes our judiciary, which is obviously important for a whole host of reasons, um, and we'll be following that closely at Injustice Watch. All right. Very good. Uh, well done. And uh, yeah, that's so that's sort of the uh, hidden uh, redistricting process of uh, very little attention uh, be, has been paid to that. Uh, and far more attention, of course, is being paid to the roar, uh, the ward maps. Uh, very dramatic uh, display of Chicago politicking going on at the city council yesterday it will be probably keeping us entertained for the next uh, few weeks. And I might guess is is that many of the people who show up at the hideout will want to talk about the ward map redistricting but we're going to make you eat your vegetables and learn stuff like about judicial uh, remapping as well and then of course yes it'll be fun vegetables they'll be well spiced and they'll be tasty and they'll be good for you uh so one more time i give folks i think your uh feed was going in and out at the outset one more time give them all the information when we'll be doing this how how they can get tickets etc so you can go to hideoutchicago.com and purchase a ticket for all of five dollars for tuesday december 7th at 6 30 p.m at the hideout so please bring your proof of vaccination they will not let you in without it um also masks are encouraged of course so you know with all this omicron news I definitely will be wearing a mask unless I'm talking or maybe even while I'm talking. 
Um, and uh, yeah, we'll kick off the show. It'll be we'll we'll talk with our guests Steph Squire and Candice Castillo uh, for about forty five minutes, and then we'll uh, transition to audience Q and A. So please bring all your burning redistricting questions. All right, very good, Maya. Thank you so much. Get back to that story, and uh, I'll see you Tuesday. All right. All right. Bye. Take care. That's the great Maya Dukmasifa. And now, uh, perfectly timed, joining me, the equally great Adolfo Mondragon, <laughs> uh, widely known in the show as El Dragon. And uh, Adolfo, looks like you're at the Rocky Mountains. Looks oh, like uh, yeah, it's a background. I didn't even pick it. I guess it just appeared magically. <laughs> uh, yeah, the backdrop, folks, you can't see it, but I can. It's, I think it's the Rocky Mountains. Uh, so it makes me feel that Adolfo's in Colorado. <laughs> I <would>. All right. <laughs> so Adolfo Mondragon is a, a lawyer, attorney here in the city of Chicago. He, uh, his, uh, one of his specialties is election law. The guy knows as much about election law as anyone else, any other attorney in the city. I say that. Uh, he has represented people uh, trying to uh, get on the ballot who have been challenged, and he has represented people trying to kick other uh, candidates off the ballot. So he's handled it on both sides. He's been a candidate himself, uh, ran for state uh, senator, and um, lost to the machine on the southwest side. So he knows a little bit about uh, how maps are drawn. Uh, he knows a little bit from experience of how the machine uh, treats people, the old what's left of the machine treats people who dare, dare to run against them. So he knows how the game and he's a lifelong Chicagoan, proud graduate of Curie High School. So he knows how the game of politics is played in Chicago. And I say all this, uh, Adolfo, as a way of introducing the topic. This is a very Chicago thing that's uh, unfolding right now uh, in the city council. And I'll just start with just uh, the basics that uh, must be stated if, before we have any conversation about remapping. And that is this. Every 10 years, there's a census. They count up how many people live in the country. And then every 10 years, because after that census, they have to redistrict legislative boundaries. Why? Because we have a principle in the United States of America that no one person should have a greater vote than any other person. And so there should be the same number of people in each district, because if you had a district, an uh, award, let's say, that only had 20,000 people, and another district had 60,000 people, the board with 20,000 people would be getting more representation than the people, the ward with 60. And this is a great principle. And I cannot begin any conversation on remapping without pointing out that for the most important office in the land, this sacred principle is thrown out the window. <laughs> when we choose the president of the United States, we have an electoral college that gives smaller districts or smaller states more weight than larger states. And MAGA tells us to shut up and take it. And I'll tell you right now, if the roles were reversed and Wyoming and Idaho and Alabama and all the other smaller states were electing lefties like me, MAGA will be crying their little MAGA eyes out. You know that, Adolfo. You know that. They'd be going, how oh, unfair. What about one man, one vote? <laughs> you know that, Adolfo. Yep. So yep. it's. I, I say all this, Adolfo, because it's a little hard for me 
to get over that. People go, Ben, just get over it. No, I just cannot get over how we have a sacred principle on something as unimportant as a ward map and yet don't have a sacred principle on something as important as president of the United States as a constitutional scholar who studied at the <laughs> university of Chicago under Barack Obama. Do you have any thoughts uh, on this complete hypocrisy at Dolfo Mondragon? Go. Well, the first thing I guess I got to um, <clears throat> note is that the one man, one vote principle is based primarily um, from jurisprudence that comes out of the 14th amendment which, as we know, comes after the Civil War and um, Abraham Lincoln. So at the time of the uh, writing of the Constitution, this principle of one man, one vote, I don't know that it was, uh, maybe people had it in mind, but it wasn't expressly um, um, put into the Constitution. And it's not even, you know, this principle doesn't even come out uh, from the 1860s. It's based on that law, but I don't think it, it actually becomes a civil rights idea till the 60s during the civil rights movement, and there's this case called Reynolds v. Sims, I think, where it comes out of. Um, so if I had to just say uh, why our system, our presidential system of uh, voting system is the way it is, is because it far predates this idea and concept of a one man, one vote. But now that we have it and now that we've accepted it, as something that we should do at, within state boundaries, uh, why not expand it to the presidential system and says what's good for the go- goose is good for the gander, right? Yeah, the only we won't ever change it unless uh, the roles are flipped and Republicans are losing as a result of the Electoral College. I guarantee you, if the 2000 election had gone the other way and Al Gore had won the Electoral College and George Bush had won the popular vote, the Republicans who don't play, who aren't wimps, who just don't roll over and cut <laughs> deals or like the Democrats do, would have now been in the year 21 of changing this system and probably would be very close to having changed it. Look how they've changed our attitudes toward abortion law. Look how they've changed our attitude toward the history of slavery. You know, all over the country, you can't even, teachers are under pressure, you can't even teach like the legitimate history of slavery. Republicans don't mess around it though, folks. Well, it's because these ideologues don't, they play the short game and the long game. And uh, I was just reading about how the Trumpers are now um, uh, uh, placing um biased people in inside the state electoral commissions and et cetera, so that they could start um, putting the idea that voter fraud is a rampant uh, thing that occurs across the country. So they're, they're, they're putting these things in place. Look at what Trump did. I mean, he's an idiot, but, <laughs> but the people who, the ideologues who use them uh, have now placed a young generation of hardcore right um, you know, uh, uh, conservative judges that are appointed for life. And those, those were going to be um, adjudicating important cases for decades to come. Yeah. And so they, they don't mess around and they, uh, they go straight for the, uh, you know, they go straight for the, you know, for the quick kill. Yeah. By the way, I'm not sure I would call Trump an idiot. Uh, I know what you're getting at when you said that. Yeah, I think yeah. he's one of brilliant manipulators of public opinion that I've seen in the definitely in this century. Uh, and he has developed a um, cult like following that has con- seized control of the Republican Party. Um, I can't think of any. I can't think of any public official in my lifetime 
who's developed such a cult-like following uh, as Donald Trump. And, yeah, uh, but I also think he's a tool. You know, he's a tool. He's not this genius playing 3D chess that people say he is. I think that a lot of this stuff is, uh, first of all, he's all he's always been in it for himself. So he's, he's a king of self-preservation, you know, self-promotion. And in doing that, people around him have used him as a tool to move their agenda. Look at the, in the Senate with, um, with Moscow Mitch, you know, um, that guy doesn't care whether, you know, uh, uh, Trump is an idiot or not, or, uh, or, um, you know, this loyal husband, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to, he's going to use him as a tool. And he did enough chit chat about Donald Trump. I could talk about him forever. Uh, at least to the impact he's had, uh, on national politics. Let's talk about Chicago, uh, war mapping politics. And I, immediately called you Adolfo uh, when I saw this one article that was in the Sun-Times. And uh, as I said at the outset, Adolfo Mondragon uh, lives on the southwest side of Chicago, ran for office on the southwest side of Chicago. At one point, he ran against Ed Burke's powerful organization. At another point, Ed Burke tried to woo him in. That didn't really work out too well. Uh, So he knows a little bit about how politics in the southwest side is played. Ed Burke, of course, the powerful alderman, or once powerful alderman of the 14th Ward. Uh, He is facing indictment of corruption charges and uh so the the map that uh was coming out of the chicago city council uh designed by uh, a gentleman named michael casper we'll get into him in a little bit uh was intended it said to preserve the incumbency of ed burke and uh, mayor Lori lightfoot despises ed burke so much that she said she would veto she let it be known she'd be veto any map that would preserve the incumbency of ed burke and that left me wondering this Great question. Ed Burke, as I stated, is facing uh, is under indictment for chart corruption charges. He's got one of the worst reputations in the city of Chicago, the epitome of corruption in Chicago uh, and bossism in Chicago. It was by virtue of the fact that she could run against Ed Burke that Lori Lightfoot was uh, defeated. Tony Parkwick, I think most people would say that Ed Burke was Tony's was Tony's greatest uh, enemy, if you will, and Lori's greatest ally. Uh, what possible map could you design, Adolfo? What possible map could you design We're, that would preserve the incumbency of a man who is facing federal uh, charges of corruption? What precincts where in the city of Chicago have to be joined together where you would get like a majority of people who would say, hmm, I could vote for a candidate who has no corruption charges or I could vote for this candidate who's facing federal corruption charges. Please help educate me how you could stitch together a map that would benefit a guy who's facing federal corruption charges. Adolfo Mondragon, take it away. Well, uh, you know, having lived through the Trump era and now the COVID era, we know that uh, many Americans become very irrational. And um, in the city of Chicago, we uh, we have a good, good number of irrational people, people who are seemingly well-educated, maybe um, have good professions, make good money, should be able to discern from good and bad and make calculations based on, you know, what's good for them. And yet they, um, they do stupid things like don't report that they're vaccinated to the, you know, their, their, uh, their superiors when they're ordered to do so by the city, uh, et cetera. Right. So if you look at the last, um, 
the last uh, aldermanic election and how Vo- uh, Ed Burke pulled off a um, a very surprising but uh, very convincing uh, win with um, about what fifty four, fifty five percent, maybe a little bit more of the vote. You look at that map and the areas that he did overwhelmingly well, where he was winning like 70, 80% of some of these precincts are all not coincidentally along a line down Archer Avenue westbound from uh, Cicero to Harlem, which if anyone has ever perused around that neighborhood um, west of um, Garfield Ridge, I think it's like Archer Park, um, knows that a lot of city, county, state workers, municipal workers and uh, work live in that area and um, a lot of firefighters, police officers, uh, and um, a larger splattering of, let's just say, white people also, although a lot of Latinos voted for Burke too, um, live in that area. And so if you're going to build a map, I guess that's going to protect or try to protect Burke, you'd have to look for precincts and areas that have a lot of um, municipal workers, state workers, county workers, people who, even though they know the history and they know what um, the alderman is currently uh, being accused of, don't care. Because all of a sudden they become irrational and they buy into arguments that are tainted with maybe racism sometimes, um, etc., and they, um, you know, believe that um, that it's better to live with the uh, old devil than, you know, the new devil, right? Whatever the saying is. And, um, and so it's, you know, that midway area, the same area that is seemingly being cut up to protect Marty Quinn, who would have kind of a similar type of appeal to these people who become irrational, um, is the area that you want to look for. And I'm assuming that that map... Um, carves up that area west of Cicero down Archer uh, and north of Archer and south of Archer um, that has this population of people there who are probably more willing to vote for candidates like Marty Quinn and uh, Ed Burke. Okay, so Marty Quinn, just to help uh, folks out, Marty Quinn is the incumbent alderman of the 13th Ward, longtime political lieutenant uh, to uh, Michael Joseph Madigan, the former Speaker of the House who stepped down. Uh, in fact, uh, Marty Quinn was is sort of like the political operative that uh, – that Madigan would dispatch. He did this while being an alderman, ladies and gentlemen. The guy was the, one of the hardest working people in the world. Uh, he was an alderman, a full-time alderman in the 13th Ward, and he would still get sent by Madigan to go uh, work uh, elections all over the city, nowhere near his ward. Uh, you know, but what, what, what's interesting about this um, this process at, you know, under Lightfoot is that who in that rules committee made the decision to hire Michael Casper, believing that um, someone like a Marty Quinn or an Ed Burke wouldn't, you know, have some kind of sway in their thinking about uh, remapping uh, the the wards because, you know, uh, if you hire someone to do this map, uh, presumably you do it so that they're not uh, favoring any one person, maybe, or maybe they're favoring a few people, but from the people within the rules committee who hired the dude, right? So how, do, how does a Lightfoot-run uh, administration hire a guy who is clearly going to be swayed by Mar- the Marty Quinns and, and Burks of the world and is going to, you know, look out for them? 
that is a valid question. And so now is a moment to uh, introduce another character, Michael Casper. Uh, we've now had three characters. So there's Ed Burke. Let's just review for those mm-hmm. taking notes at home. Ed Burke, the uh, alderman of the 14th Ward, former finance uh, chair of the city council, over- oversaw uh, millions and millions of dollars worth of budgets, billions of dollars worth of budgets and TIF deals uh, and, and his perch as finance chair. Uh, and then also ran a property tax appeal business uh, in which he was squeezing people who were coming before the city uh, looking for TIFs, TIF money or coming to the city needing zoning changes to hire him. Okay, so that's one character. The other character is uh, Marty Quinn, political operative for Michael Joseph Madigan. We've been told that Michael Joseph Madigan is persona non grata in the state of Illinois, that he's emblematic of the old way of doing politics. Apparently not so uh, <laughs> persona non grata in the Chicago City Council. And finally, Michael uh, Casper, who is a lawyer, uh, and his specialty is election law. And in the past, uh, he has uh, been the election law expert for Michael uh, Madigan's Democratic Party. And as such, his job was to uh, keep people like Adolfo Mondragon off the ballot. Anybody who dared to challenge anyone who is supported by Michael Joseph Madigan could uh, run the a, a likelihood or a chance that Michael Casper would challenge him. And folks, you got to see like Michael. I always joke, Michael Casper walking into a board of election commissioners is like Tom Jones going on stage in Vegas. (laughs) 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 Mr. Mr. Casper, (laughs) the the employee, the old, it's not as bad as it used to be. A double back back in the double. Have an egg roll, Mr. Casper. (laughs) Listen, when you, when you sit down before an administrative judge and, uh, Casper walks in and the judge is fawning all over him. You know you're fucked. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's Madigan's lawyer, people. Hello. Okay. And Madigan is the guy who pretty much and Burke slates judges in the city of Chicago. So if you got a job as a judge, you got to pretty much go through Mad Dog and Burke. And that means when you see Michael Casper, you bow down. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Casper. Oh, you're so wise. I've never heard a judici- an argument like that in my whole life. Oh, God, Adolfo. <laughs> but I will say this. I've seen uh, Michael Casper in action. The guy, I think he memorized the rule book. He's, no, he's, 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 uh, he's an incredibly smart guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. And, you know, and because you focus on a certain area, you hone those skills and you become a killer. And he has that killer instinct. But um, so it's not like he's a dumb guy who doesn't deserve, you know, reputation being good. But also when you're working and the and the system is stacked against everyone else. Yeah, of course, you're going to win all the time. Right. I mean, that that counts, too. I would say that um, the system favors. I would have to use a basketball analogy. I'd say, uh, generally speaking, in the old days, when uh, an election lawyer like Adolfo would go into the room uh, if, and facing Michael Casper, it'd be a little like the Washington Generals playing the Harlem Globetrotters. You kind of know which way. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, you, could, you could call it blind, basically, you know. <laughs> so I would love to see how Michael Casper would do if he just flipped. Like if instead of Michael Casper representing uh, the uh, the marginal candidates who are struggling to get on the ballot, 
Let's let's make a uh, inst- uh, no. Instead of the Adolfo Mondragon's representative, <laughs> let's flip it. Let's give Adolfo the Michael Madigan uh, <laughs> clients and give Casper the marginal guys that Ben Jarofsky writes about. Who do you think would suddenly win, Adolfo? Yeah, I mean, when you have the resources and also the influence, right? Um, the tables turn pretty quickly, no matter how smart you are. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's Michael Casper, and uh, he is, and they're they're very upset. I should let you know that uh, I just saw this. Um, uh, Alderman Rod Sawyer is very upset that the people are calling it the Casper map. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> the Alderman want credit for having come up with the map. Don't call it the Casper map. Oh yeah. Well, then I guess then the buck should fall there, and they should be the ones to explain why the map protects certain people. Yes. Uh, and I, I just feel, again, uh, I, I before I leave it completely, I just want to know about the mindset. So is the mindset in the city of Chicago on the southwest side, a community that you grew up in, you know very well, that um, if you have Ed Burke as your alderman, what? What are you going to get? You're going to get better services. Is there, you're going to get more police, better schools. I mean, how will your life be better if Ed Burke, I just need to know the mentality of a voter uh, on the Southwest side of Chicago who would think it would be a good idea to have as his alderman, Ed Burke. Go ahead. Adolfo. Well, I think those who um, receive, who cry about, you know, are the squeaky wheel and then go to the office and cry about services, they'll definitely get better services. And because they're getting better services and better attention at the office than most other people, they're not going to care because their, their life now marginally improved. And, uh, you know, people like Ed Burke are old school. They're smart. And they also, you know, I mean, they do these things out of self-interest, but some of these things that they do also, the shows that they care at some level, you know, not only providing some of these services, but I've heard stories about how, you know, the alderman apparently used to, um, you know, pay for funeral services and, uh, you know, and definitely in the old days appear at every funeral within the ward or send somebody from the office to give condolences and stuff. And those things, they touch people in a way that, um, uh, you know, that will make them, uh, care more about the person than than their rival. If you know voters, if they get a little bit of attention, a little bit of attention, someone knocking at their door and asking them how they feel about things, even that goes a long way. Um, so uh, people from the old school like Burke and Mel and these other guys, they know going to funerals, um, giving a little money here and there when people need it, uh, definitely making sure that their uh, services are you know are are on time and um, that if anything, that if there's a problem that they can feel at least that they can go to their office and get some attention or get some, some immediate help. All of that matters. Now, uh, all the other things, I don't know. Do they get good policy out of, out of them? Do they get more schools? Do they get more? I, I, I don't know. But the big thing I think they, that they've always pushed uh, politicians of that make and type is that, they're gonna they're gonna 
give you a little special attention in the services area and maybe uh, by showing some kind of, um, um, you know, I, I don't even know how what, what kind of word to say it, but a little more human contact in terms of like appearances at funerals and giving out turkeys on, on Thanksgiving and giving you a baseball cap or a shirt when you go to vote, although that has a different, that, that has a different purpose too, but it shows that you're reaching out to them and that you care and voters will take that because no one else gives them that, right? Uh, all right. Well, that maybe that if if that's what motivates them. Now, I'm not saying that that's what that 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 kind of contact is enough to convince you to keep voting for someone. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that that's what you know politicians of this make use in order to build. Uh, um, you know, voters trust and and uh, allegiance to them. All right. Fair <clears throat> enough. Uh, so let's move on now to uh, the big battle in the city council. And um, man, we've come a long way from the days of Harold Washington, uh, as I about to say this. Essentially, uh, it's a dispute between uh, the Black Caucus of the city council and the Latino Caucus of the city What's council. What's new, right? What's new? It's an What's old story. <laughs> this is an old story in the city of Chicago. Uh, black people either fighting among themselves or fighting with Latinos. Uh, and white people just skating to the, skating <laughs> to the finish line uh, all in the city of Chicago. Uh, so the way it comes down is you have a quote unquote black wards and Latino wards. And uh, it's really hard uh, to draw a black ward or a Latino ward uh, Adolfo because there's different voting patterns and you know this as well as anybody because you've run for office so you could say that well this is a latino ward because it's 50 percent latino but that doesn't mean it's 50 percent voting age latino and that doesn't mean that uh the decisive vote in the ward will be latino vote not only that uh, let me give you a, a personal example the last time I ran for office, I ran for an open seat for the uh, current 15th Ward, right? And if you look at that map, it's a majority Latino, but there is about one-third uh, black population situated in the uh, West Englewood area. And so you, the conventional wisdom would tell you, well, it's a uh, majority Latino. A Latino is going to win. And a Latino did win, but not because of that reason. He voted because the black part of that ward um, swung in his favor and uh, in an open race among a number of Latino candidates who split that Latino vote between themselves, uh, the consolidation of that black voter, most of it behind Raylo, your, your, your guy is what it was propelled them to the win. So their conventional wisdom is turned upside down because what happens is if you have, for example, an open race where a lot of Latinos are running vying for that majority Latino vote, they split that vote up, and all of a sudden it's no longer majority Latino. It's up for grabs, and if you can consolidate from the black population, from the black voters, then uh, then you you know you got to win. Well, this gets to a larger point, uh, and thank you. Yeah, the, the Ray Lowe in question is, of course, Raymond Lopez uh, of the 15th Ward. Uh this gets to a larger question. 
things have changed in Chicago. Voting patterns have changed in the city of Chicago. Now, how much they've changed is open to debate. But when I first moved here back in the early 80s, uh, it was inconceivable that white candidates, white voters would vote for a black uh, automatic candidate. It was it's so bizarre. This is my first uh, this is my introduction to Chicago politics, Adolfo. <laughs> and so I would watch like so there would be uh, a pattern uh, in, in racially changing wards on the south side of Chicago, whereas more white black people moved in, white people moved out. But the ward like the white vote, the white people that stayed would just vote as a block for the white guy. And that's how it was. You vote for the white guy. You're like, And that <laughs> it doesn't matter who the white guy is. In case of like some white guys, they didn't even live in a ward. We're going to vote for the white guy. It was like so Chicago. And uh, I subscribe after a while, I just subscribed to this conventional wisdom that white people will always vote for the white guy and black people. Well, no, it's, it's black people have shown a lot more tolerance and open mindedness on this issue, as I've seen in many uh, automatic elections. Subsequently, I get the sense I almost feel naive saying this, um, that those attitudes have changed, that white people are a little more likely to vote for a black person than they were back in the 80s and the 70s. They certainly voted for uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> right. when, I said, when I said his name, I just started imitating him. Barack Obama. So, <laughs> uh, your thoughts, lifelong Chicago, Curie High, ran for Alderman. Uh, do you think that white people will vote for uh, a black guy if there's another white person in, the, uh, in that race? Or are they just going to Go lockstep for a white guy. Go ahead. I think that it's not a um, a solid uh, chance that they uh, that they won't vote for a minority candidate. I think now. I think you're right that there is a a small but larger possibility that there will be uh, like a white majority. Uh, ward, for example, that will vote for someone of color, like they did with uh, what's his name, Amaya Power, right? Power, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But there has to be very unique circum or Obama, right? There has to be unique circumstances. Generally, I think, I think, I don't know when that happens. The, the the person of color has to be a unique person that is probably highly educated, like a power or an Obama, that is looked at as highly respectable and can communicate very well and doesn't speak in a slang and, uh, you know, and and meets kind of very high respectable uh, images of whatever white people think, you know, people of color should be the ideal person, right? And I think when that happens, there's a good chance that they might be open to voting for someone like that. But if you put a rapper, you know, even if they have good social policies, et cetera, but they convey a certain image or something, I don't know that that person would would draw a lot of white votes. To tell you the truth, no matter how much their politics were in tune with um, the people in the neighborhood, I think that somebody else has an opportunity to use, you know, a lot of these things against that person and and make them lose. So um, I think you're right that maybe it's not like it's not a given that white people will only vote for white folk now in the city of Chicago. 
the city is still very segregated. There's certainly not a lot of white people live with black and brown folks, right? Um, but uh, to the extent where there are gentrifying communities and there's, you know, uh, precincts that are drawn with portions that are white and portions that are uh, people of color, I think that the that it would take the right type of minority candidate, you know, usually someone that fits stereotypes, right? Like an Asian stereotype that they're all good at math or that they're very smart, or like um, if it's a black person who's just, you know, very respectable because they speak very well, um, that kind of thing that they that they fit certain uh, stereotypes of what white people think should be like the ideal minority. Those people then definitely have a better chance of uh, of winning in a white majority uh, ward in Chicago. All right. And I just want to point out, uh, you said a rapper, and it's immediately popped to mind on the north side of Chicago, the alderman of the 40th ward is Andre Vasquez, who uh, is a rapper, uh, and defeated Pat O'Connor, a longtime incumbent. Uh, so that was an instance uh, where a ward that's – it's. Definitely a plurality of white people, if not a majority, uh, voted for a, a Latino uh, who had been a rapper, had some controversial lyrics. In right. fact, uh, Andre's been but, on the but show. His, current, his image wasn't that of a rapper, though. He was like respectable guy with suit and tie or at least casual clothing, et cetera, right? Well, OK, so let me just put it this way. Uh, when it when uh, it, it, that race was there were many candidates in the race in the first round. uh Nobody got over 50%, so there was a runoff between the incumbent Patrick O'Connor and Andre Vasquez. And so Patrick O'Connor, in order, <laughs> I'm just laughing at the memory, uh, in order to win over the voters of the 40th Ward, he thought, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to release the lyrics that Andre, some of Andre Vasquez's raps. I'm going to put them in a campaign flyers, let people know what outrageous lyrics there were uh, in the hope that the, uh, the voters would be outraged uh, that such a person uh, would... Um, uh, be running for them, uh, running for office. Uh, so he did that. Uh, and then he read the lyrics at a debate and it backfired. Because suddenly he was reading the lyrics. <laughs> Dude, you can't read the offense. Oh, I guess he thought the man. flyers weren't enough. So he started, let me tell you what these flyers said. And he started oh. reading them. And people are like going, oh my God, that's horrible. They blamed him, not Andre. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, hilarious. You know, and it is funny because, I mean, millennials mean love rap music. White millennials. I hear White millennials. people in general are the biggest purchasers of rap music. So, I mean, come on. Is that for real? Did you, or did you I just make that it up? Was true, and it was true for for uh, for a good portion of right? it. But it probably still is if you look it up. Well, you know, it's funny because I'll be in a car with some millennials or some Zs and some rap song with horrific lyrics will come on and they'll be like, doing the lyrics along with the guy. (laughs) Chris Rock has a whole bit on that about, you know, when is it okay for a white person to sing along a Jay-Z song and say the N-word? No, it's never. It's never. never, Right, right. It's never. And then they're like, they're like, when when we're not around or something like that. (laughs) No, that's uh, the Kevin Hart's new uh, TV show opens with a bit like that uh, i don't want to give it away but uh so anyway so uh, or i think things have changed at least on the north side i don't know what it's like on the south side uh you know they hold on to those great traditions of hating people of uh other ethnicities yeah, but do, you, do you think that that the candidate itself has to be has to have some kind of unique qualities that kind of feed into people's perceptions of what they they like as you yes know, the kind of, of minority they like yeah, I, I, I think you're really on to something. Uh, and, um, 
Yes, I think you're absolutely on to something with what you said, and you said it very well. Uh, all right. Uh, now we get into the issue of Latinos voting for Latinos. Uh, and I'd love to get your feeling about this. There is this assumption that somehow or other, if you have a ward with over 50% Latinos, they will vote for a Latino candidate. I'm like, what history of Chicago are they looking at? <laughs> I've been around Chicago since 81, and Latinos are one of the most open-minded group of people I've ever seen. Uh, I'm sure, uh, I remember uh, when uh, uh, Michael Madigan put up a couple remember he put up a couple of Hispanic with the surname people to run against him because he was afraid uh, of Gonzalez's campaign yeah, and straw candidates right straw candidates and they didn't get hardly any vote <laughs> so I'm I'm not certain that uh, this rule of thumb uh, is accurate what's your thoughts on this Adolfo well I think exhibit a is Burke right I mean Look how many years he was reelected as his ward continually moved westward, right? But still was uh, abound, you know, many um, Latino neighborhoods, um, and you know, and he's the one who, who tells you the, the the first one to tell you what was his quote to say that the proof is in the pudding, right? He would always say that that you know people vote for him because the proof is in the pudding. He's a good alderman and he takes care of his people etc. And um so I think he's exhibit A right there to tell you uh about Latinos cuz there's no voter fraud. I mean it's Latinos are going in there and they're voting for, you know, uh candidates like Burke or Marty Quinn. Um and uh you know other other out there that escape me right now but um so it's, uh, yeah, it's not a given that because you draw a map a certain way. Again, like I said, they, it, 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 not only does it open it up to, yes, if they're more willing to vote for a Latino, that many Latinos will run and split the damn vote and then leave the door wide open for the minority candidate, right? Um, but also, even if that doesn't happen, if it's a one-on-one -on -one between a white and a Latino or a white and a black person or a white and an Asian person, um, that, uh, you know, it, it, I don't, I, I, I'm like you, I don't think it's a given that the minority candidate, ethnic minority candidate wins. Um, but that's a really complex issue because it deals with, uh, with the particularities of that the ward or that neighborhood and the history of these candidates. And it includes things like, you know, um, you know, what have these people done for me lately? Right. So if you're running against a white candidate who has a history of, I don't know, providing services or something of some, some kind, whether through a not-for-profit or a government agency or something like that, that's going to, you know, bode well for that person. Or if, like you said, that there's a, some kind of issue that they could sp uh, spin up against their competition and make them look b in bad light. And um, so I think it's also, I, I, I think Every time these things happen like that, there's always particular reasons why they happen. But the possibility of them happening is far more, um, you know, it happens far more often nowadays. I think I, I agree with that. All right. Let me ask you this. Uh, when you ran against Tony Minos, uh, the state senator back, uh, I think it was 2012, and uh, you had to make your appeal. Uh, to, to voters and you're up against an entrenched incumbent who's supported by Madigan Burke, the entire mm -hmm. 
political establishment of the Southwest side, the epitome of a machine candidate. Uh, And uh, when you had to make your case to the voters of your district, was there any much of a difference between the response favorable uh, or not favorable you would get based on the ethnicity of the person you went to, like were white people more open to you than Latinos or blacks or vice versa, or was it all about the same? Well, um, I think definitely when I walked in the white areas of the district, cause it's a, you know, Senate, uh, state Senate seat, uh, districts are big. They're like six, seven wards, uh, large. Right. Um, definitely when I watched, when I walked in certain areas of Bridgeport, Man, I've never feared more than I've feared in other areas, in Harlem, in New York, or in the 1990s and stuff, you know? I mean, in the South Bronx, I felt more comfortable than than I did walking around in Bridgeport. And the reception I got was very chilling and cold sometimes. And some people who were actually willing to talk to me, they would just be flat out, look, dude, Tony Munoz is with us, and you're not one of us. So what the hell are you doing here? You're not going to get any votes. I mean, just flat out will tell you like that. I don't think that there was any um, racial bias because we were both Mexican-American, but I think that there was in the sense that they believed Tony, at least in my opinion, they believed Tony to be their lackey, and therefore it was cool because it was their boy, And uh, but I wasn't. So the racial stuff was kind of set up in that dimension, not because I was Mexican and he was not. It's because we were both Mexicans, but he was their boy, and I was like the uppity guy, right, trying mm-hmm. to run the system, um, like the not ideal uh, Mexican guy, no matter what my background or education, et cetera. Although they gave me some, you know, a, 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 a little bit of props for that. Like, at least you're not some idiot out there just viewing whatever, you know, like, what are you doing, man? You're a lawyer. You should be do- with us or whatever, right? Um, so uh, I think it was kind of cast in that um, kind of uh, dynamic. When I ran against them, though, I mean, I because th- I had no experience running before and I just jumped into a big seat, you know, running against a big guy in a big seat, a made guy. And I found that... Um, Running against Tony, the, the the story that I told was uh, one of my upbringing and my educational background to compare and make the stark differences there. But the, I also pegged a lot on the trucking scandal because people gave Tony – nobody ran during those years against Tony, or if they did, they were like nobodies who got like 10% of the vote or something. Um, and I hit him on that. The problem for me was that I didn't have the money to reach everyone in the community because the areas that I did hit strong – um, and I gave, um, you know, face-to-face door-knocking conversations with people and talking about the differences. I think people bought the story. They, they said, yeah, why should we have someone like that when we can have someone like you? Um, and therefore, I did well in certain little pockets. But if you don't have the money to get your message across, people aren't voting. They won't even know who you are. Yeah. Uh, money, uh, obviously, uh, huge factor. I remember that very well. And uh, I would say that uh, the best thing to come out of that election, uh, I was with you the night you lost, a very disappointing night, uh, was the chimichangas that your mom made. Uh, <laughs> I still remember those. <laughs> so it wasn't uh, all bad. All right. Uh, and uh, so let's, uh, on a more serious note, let me ask you this. Uh, I 
I've been fighting the powers of being in this city for a long time, Adolfo, as you know. And I'm almost always on the losing end. Uh, and pretty much any issue uh, where it's like the mayor has his position supported by both downtown daily newspapers. And then there's me <laughs> and I lose. Uh, and I usually lose by uh, a vote of the city council. Okay. And the vote is generally overwhelmingly against me. And when that vote comes down, it really ethnicity don't see much <laughs> variation. They're both like the black guys, the Latino guys, the white guys, they're with the mayor. Right. And so I asked this question substantively what difference does it make if people are just going to vote? Uh, Follow the, what the mayor wants them to do. If they're just going to follow the mayor's dictates, if they're going to follow the commands of the downtown business community on things like uh, TIFs and economic development dollars, really, if you're going to set up a system in which the north side of Chicago benefits and the south side of Chicago, Latino and black neighborhoods loses, what difference does it make if your alderman is of Irish, black, or Mexican ancestry? Adolfo Mondragon, please answer that question. I think I, 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 I think we're probably in tune on this. It doesn't matter. I think what matters is money. Money is what matters. If you had a system that leveled the playing field in terms of candidates' opportunity to run for office uh, and get their message across, then you would find a system that would be that would probably result in candidates who were, uh, you know, authentically representing their the interests of their community as opposed to the interests of the mayor or their own pockets or the north side or whoever the lobbyists are for all the business or whatever that, that go down there. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, the diversity aspect of this will take care of itself if there is a level playing field in terms of access to the ballot, access to money and message uh, to, to get your message across. So if there was some kind of, you know, funding system like there is in New York, where if you make it on the ballot, you know, you you get X amount of money to, to help fund your campaign. If you're, you know, making less than if you're bringing in less than a certain amount, um, those kind of things, I think are uh, better in tune in getting the, the type of diversity in the city council and also maybe a type of candidate that is more uh, sincerely in tune with your community. I think that if you look at I, I love AOC. Um, I think she's she is a phenomenally brilliant representative and very different than you know, what you typically get in, uh, in DC, but I, you know, what, what got her that seat against again, main guy, right. The number two guy in Congress, um, was the fact that technology has now allowed, allowed her to send her message nationwide and let it hit with as many people who are in tune with her message that were now within her own district to send money little by little and, and get her enough money so that she could get her message across and win that campaign. So again, I think the moral of that story is the ability to level the playing field in terms of money um, will 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 
at the end of the day, reap better candidates who will become better politicians, who also will be a diverse set of people, and you won't get the blocks of the ethnics, you know, the ethnic whites and the ethnic um, people of color who are the typical power, you know, hungry dudes who will sell themselves out to the, you know, fight really hard, get to the top, and then take their payday by selling out. Which is the system that it's always been, right? I mean, and then and then they'll probably say that that's a good system, that that's you know the forty eight rules of laws of power, and uh, you'll have guys like Juan Rangel tell you that it's all about power, and you have to maximize it, and you know the ends justify the means, and fuck everybody else. It's all about you, whatever. And then some stuff will crumble down to the to the peasants down below, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the peasants down below uh, in Ed Burke's ward. Uh, when you went on that, that was a good riff. Uh, a couple things popped in my mind. One of my favorite topics is why uh, could an AOC emerge in New York and yet not Chicago, uh, which is we'll, we'll leave that for another day. But uh, I do look at that uh, at a congressional level. But clearly, it's, it was, but part of it, that story was her ability to use technology, use Facebook and other um, uh, media to help her get the money that was required to win a congressional race and a congressional race against one of the most powerful Democrats um, in, yeah, in, yeah. In, the, in the country. And, you know, it's wonderful how she's used uh, social media not only to raise the money and not be on the phones catering to millionaires or whatever, but catering to people like you and me, even if they're not within our district, yeah. but also to inform everyone about uh, you know, and get some transparency to the way things work in those halls, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll hold off a larger, uh, deeper dive uh, into this matter for another time. Uh, so, uh, Adolfo Mondragon, uh, I want to get your thoughts on briefly uh, before we leave for today. Just really curious your thoughts on the Justice Smollett trial. Oh, and uh, your your. <laughs> I opened the show by talking about how I just, it's just astounding to me that so much attention uh, and resources have been dedicated to establishing uh, that Jesse Smollett made up this story. And we are determined to prove and hold him accountable for this. And uh, I find this to a large degree, uh, just like an expose about uh, celebrity and uh, in politics, Chicago, the Chicago mentality, a lot of things that play here, obviously race. Uh, but your thoughts, your general thoughts as you watch front page news, Adolfo, the day two in the Justice Smollett trial. <laughs> Your thoughts. It's such, a, it's such a waste of resources. I mean, like, uh, this whole thing from the beginning to end. But I can't, somehow deep inside me, I can't blame um, the city and the state's attorney's office at the end of the day of having to go through with, uh, with the trial because cause they're buffoonery, like, messed up this thing from the beginning. Like, they, all the mistakes that were made, this thing should have been handled so easily, so easily. But instead, like you said, the Hollywood aspect of this and all the whatever just made people act stupid. Like, you know, even Fox. I mean, she's never holed up. So the fact that she fucked up, all she did was like, yeah, I fucked up. 
and it's my fault this happened, but I won't ever do it again. I've learned. I was mesmerized by that Hollywood, you know, shit or whatever, and being uh, in touch with um, famous people or whatever. Um, as far as Smollett's own, um, you know, insistence that he's innocent, that I mean, that's just laughable. <laughs> no, I think that that is the most laughable part of it. A couple of guys you know very well intimately, right? Uh, who's supposed your pain to to help you work out, and maybe there's apparently some sexual tension between. As as I read today, the the they cross examined one of the Nigerian guys, and they're like, "You were trying to take advantage of the sexual tension you had with Smollett, right?" Uh, if that's true, and this guy, these guys were that intimate with him, how the fuck do you not recognize what those <laughs> beat your ass in the street? How do you not go to the police and tell them, oh, I know exactly who did this? Yeah. This no, I... Was Amanda, uh, I don't know if he said it was white people, but I'm sure it was intimated that it was white people yeah. who beat his ass up when it was two big old dark Nigerian dudes, man. I'm like, come on. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I think that the, uh, uh, the, the issue of the veracity of Jesse Smollett's story is, uh, the one part that pretty much everybody can agree with, uh, uh, that, yeah, he made that stuff up. Anyway, Adolfo Mondragon, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me. I appreciate it as always. Uh, very educational, giving us some insight on, among other things, uh, the, the mentality of voters in the city of Chicago <laughs> as they'd stitch together a ward looking yeah. for precincts wherever they can find them that would preserve the incumbency of a man who's <laughs> been charged with corruption. Dude, wait, Ben, wait. Watch us do a future podcast where we're saying, like, wow, how did Burke win another election? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From some of the same voters who support Donald Trump. Let's just pause to think about that, ladies and gentlemen. All right, uh, Adolfo, thank you very much. Uh, as always, it's been a delight Thanks, talking Dennis. to you. And I want to thank uh, Maya Dukmasafa. And don't forget, everybody, we'll be back at the hideout next Tuesday talking about the ward map uh, next Tuesday at 630. And I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joe Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Adolfo and Maya will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. a lot about um, the mothers of your friends where you went to their houses and you knew that they were going to be kind and generous and supportive of you. So that that theme of women being present and how they make a difference, um, talk a little bit about that and, and how that again animated some of the, the selections that you made on people in the book. That's a great question, Mayor, because...